Antonio Cassano, Fant'Antonio, one of the sport's greatest ever talents, if that sport is eating donuts. And he wasn't bad at football too. After his retirement, his first one this week, we marvel at the career of the boy from Bari and also look at Virtus Antella, the virtual club, Poland, Italy, and this weekend's Milan derby. But first, this. Thank you, James. A great occasion, certainly on the Italian scene. You really can't stress too highly the excitement surrounding this clash. And also, of course, so much at stake, too, in terms of local pride and passion. Alongside me, then, is Ray Wilkins, and certainly memories revived for you as well today, Ray, of those marvellous matches you played in the Milan derbies. Yes, no question about it. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, I'm sure if the players can give us half the spectacle on the field that the supporters have given us off it, we're in for a really great afternoon. Two really terrific football sides. Yep, possibly the greatest football commentary team ever there in action from San Siro back in the 90s. Apologies if you weren't a Channel 4 viewer back in, in that decade or a pro-evolution player. Uh, but for those who were, this has been a, a very particular week because Peter Brackley passed away on Sunday. Pro-evolution commentator, as I mentioned, after-dinner speaker, talented impressionist, but for many of us, above all, the voice of Italian football. Uh, Gabriele Marcotti and James Horncastle here with us for another Golazzo. And Gab, I'm not sure how much football Italia you saw back in the 90s, but of all the things that made it a show people watched, I think Peter Brackley was one of the key things. Well, I think the thing about his voice was that you didn't just hear his voice on, on the show that, that, that you did it with him and, and you, you know, and, and the Channel 4's coverage, but his voice would come out if, if you were in different parts of the world voice would come out in highlight packages. And in terms of English language, it, it is pretty much synonymous with Italian football commentary from, from that era. And also, you mentioned Pro Evo. I mean, there was a time when that was so much better than FIFA. And that was the go-to game that you played if you wanted to play a football video game. And, and he was the voice of that. Zanetti, the defending team, intercepts the pass. He clears it, brings the ball under control. Fabio Cannavaro, Pirandelli. He wins the ball back. From my childhood, sorry James, to bring up how young I am, respect to, to you both, um, having that Football Italia and Pro Evo, I mean, right. he was the dominant voice of that era. And it was a bit strange when Football Italia, for example, went off the airwaves, when FIFA kind of overtook Pro Evo, to then not hear yeah. Peter Brackley's voice as regularly. Which I think is such a sad thing. He moved to Spain, which I think is one of the reasons mm. why we didn't get to enjoy him so much, but so sad that he went so early, but also that we, you know, we, we had so many years when we, we didn't have the opportunity to listen to him. He was always, I think, for me, the reason that I like him so much was that he was always warm, always funny, always paid the game respect. It was never about him. And just the best companion you could have through 90 minutes of football, whether it was, you know, a goalless draw at San Siro or whatever, you know, with him and with Ray alongside him. Just fantastic. Uh, Neil Duncanson, who's the uh, producer on the, who put that show together, with, uh, remembering this week that uh, Brackers was a, a great kind of deadpan humorist. And uh, somebody was asking him in some pub in London how it was that the presenter was out in, in Italy and he was back in a basement in London. He said that the production team always adjusted the studio and make him feel like he was there. So for Pisa games, the, the desk was put on a 30-degree angle. And for <laughs> matches from Venezia, they flooded it with a, a full of water. <laughs> I mean, I've had the fortune to work alongside some great people in my career, but I don't, I've, I'm, I'm prouder of working with anybody than, than Peter and Ray. 
Here's Viali. Ravinelli has continued his run. Here is Ravinelli, and it has to be the first goal. Four minutes to half time, and Ravinelli has struck for Juventus. No one wears the black and white of Juve with more pride than this man. You're listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. So, listener, Antonio Cassano retired this week. So it's not the second time he's retired. Well, it's the third. Yeah. So he said this was after his brief spell with Virtus Entella, uh, the, as I say, virtual team. They're kind of experiment in reverse quantum football in that they don't exist simultaneously in two leagues at the same time, <laughs> uh, the second and third division in Italy. We'll get into the reasons for that shortly, but Antonio's comment when he hung up his boots again over the last few days of training, I realised that I no longer have the mentality to train consistently. <laughs> no longer. <laughs> no longer. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, a good opportunity to look back on, on really one of the sport's more talented players, more unique mentalities, uh, colossally gifted footballer with a colossally colourful career. And now you mentioned the fact that he's retired before. This was... July 2017, when he, he signed up, he'd had a year out after basically falling out with Sampdoria again, and they put him outside the, the squad, no? And then he signed up for Verona, and then what happened? <laughs> well, he did pretty much the same thing. He trained for a couple of days and was like, ah, this just isn't for me, I can't hack it anymore. And then was talked out of retiring, yeah. came back to do another <laughs> couple of days and was like, oh, I just hate this, it's awful. <laughs> It is, it's a shame, isn't it? I mean, it, I guess it's like Chris Eubank and boxing. He just didn't like... Or we were talking the other day about Rakoba, who regarded training as, as mm. distasteful. But I mean, the reason I think he came back um, this time around with, mm -hmm. with Virtus is because they're essentially his local team. I mean, ever since he's played for Samp, you know, he's really settled in that part of the world. You know, his wife's from, from there as well. So, you know, I mean, it wasn't even that much of an effort to, to go to, what, Chiaveri and, and, and train. So Plus, if he didn't like playing football, they are the perfect club because they, they're not <laughs> playing football at the moment because of this yeah. bizarre situation. I spoke to someone at uh, Virtus okay. last, last week when he basically had agreed to sign and, and given this press conference and, and they said they, they were a little bit concerned that because yeah, at the moment, their whole situation's in a state of suspense. Once they start playing, if they were going to be playing in the third division again, crowd's really quite poor, then Cassano would probably hear everything that was being hurled at him from the stands, and they really feared that, you know, he's going to react. He's right. going to react, and there's going to be some kind of, I don't know, not Cantona moment, but classic kind of Cassano. Uh, you mentioned, uh, yeah. You mentioned that they're uh, a local Genovese side for him. Was it a PR move at all because of their extraordinary plight? Him signing up with them, if, if well, you know, I'll it for only seven or eight days, the club president Antonio Gozzi pointed to the fact that it's it's made Virtus Centella or Virtus Centella a much bigger name globally and, and brought a lot of attention to their case, which is just extraordinary. Gab, can you explain briefly what is why are they in limbo? You know what? I'm so bored by this story. <laughs> but, um, so in the background, there's an overarching desire by Italian football authorities to reduce the number of professional clubs in Italy, which mm -hmm. I believe among the major nations is the second highest after, after England. In Italy, we also have fairly, and it seems incredible that we have strict or anything, but we have fairly strict guidelines in terms of of liquidity and, and guarantees and bank guarantees that you know you, when you present your budget for the upcoming season, it has to be covered, right? Which meant that three clubs didn't pass those regulations. Yes. And as such, weren't able to qualify for 
Serie B. The three clubs division. who should have been in Serie B, either yeah. through promotion or because they avoided relegation last year, mm. um, were declared were declared insolvent. So a bunch of sides from Serie C, including Virtus, who had just gone down through the playoffs now, felt that they would be able to take their place. Right. Exactly. But instead, what Serie B said, wait a minute, we've got 22 teams in Serie B, way too many. There shouldn't be 22 to begin with. Mm. We've been asking for years to reduce the number. Let's hey, have 19. <laughs> here's our chance. Let's have 19. And I think they would yeah. have been able to negotiate for one of them. Right. But, you know, I, I don't have much sympathy for Intella uh-huh. because I'm like, you know what? Okay. You guys got relegated. Yeah. Okay. Go away. But so they started the season in City of Chi, but then they were told to stop playing the fixtures. Well, I think they also wanted to stop playing oh, the fixtures. Oh, that's a voluntary thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm. As, a, as a protest. Because there is there is a series of appeals against this decision to keep City of B with 19 teams. They are waiting on the uh, TAR, which is one of the appeals courts. Yeah, um, which lives up to its name, by the way, because <laughs> it's, it's about how transparent But anyway, is. the Lazio, the, 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 the Rome area TAR, which will be uh, pronouncing on the case now. It was meant to be last week. Now they've shifted the decision back to the 23rd of uh, October. And now I think it's really starting to come home for Gotzi, the owner, because he's like, well, even if we do get um, to play in City of B again, we're going to have so many games to make up that we're going to be playing essentially every kind of two days. We don't have the squad for that. I mean, can you imagine Cassano playing every two days? I mean, that would be a nightmare. So, yeah, this whole this whole thing is just an absolute fiasco. Mm. Um, but for you, the, it was their decision to to suspend the City of Chief fixtures while waiting to see if they could go. They got B. legal advice on that now because they figured if they start playing these games, mm. yeah, eventually. Because Italy, for those who don't understand, Italy have like we have the official sort of sporting mechanism, sporting courts that you can appeal through, and then yeah, I'm bored even talking about this, but <laughs> and then you can take it outside. You can file a a, a, a civil case which is what you're talking about with, with Tad. And then all these idiots, all they do is just keep keep filing legal papers and appeals everywhere, right? Right. So I don't have a lot of sympathy for Gotzi because, A, you got relegated on the pitch. B, they told you that you're going to play in the third division. C, you decide you don't want to play because you think if you play, it's kind of like, you know, habeas corpus. You know, you, you, you oh, look, you're already playing there. Well, we can't move you out since you already played these many fixtures. Yeah. Um, deal with it. You spent nothing on the team to begin with. My guess is you will end up bankrupting the team and walk away without pulling any kind of money out of your pocket. I have no sympathy for you. Okay. Go to City of Chi where you belong, Liga Pro, whatever whatever the heck it is, where you've been for most of your existence and where you belong. Know your place, know your role, and shut up. I had them down as like a kind of cuddly culture version of Tom Hanks in the tone. <laughs> <laughs> no, away. Away no. with okay. these people. All right, James, then. It's always stood out to me why he never went back to Bari, finished his career there. Yeah. Well, he, he wanted to finish his career with, with Totti, one day reunite that team. But it, it hasn't happened, apart from one memorable charity match. Anyway, you know what? There's a lot to talk about with Antonio Cassano. So let's rewind all the Cassanate, all the great goals, all the great moments after this. Listeners, come rain or shine, your friends here at Muddy Knees Media deliver a whole host of podcasts to your ears every single week. And that's why we're giving the thumbs up to ShipStation. Yep, ShipStation, America's number one e-commerce shipping software, is now available in the UK. Why is that exciting, you may ask? Well, if you're selling online, you want to get your orders out quickly and keep your customers happy. And that's where ShipStation comes in. ShipStation imports your online orders from anywhere you sell, from eBay to Amazon and even your own web store. So whether you dispatch one package per day or thousands per week, ShipStation is the shipping software for you. 
You'll get orders out fast and keep your customers happy. Happy customers mean more orders, and that is good for business. Because you listen to Galazzo, you can try ShipStation for free for 30 days and get a special bonus when you use the promo code SHOW. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in SHOW. That's ShipStation.com, S-H-I-P-S-T-A-T-I-O-N, and enter the promo code SHOW. ShipStation.com. Get ship done. The intriguing sounds of Italian music legend Vasco Rossi. Their soundtrack for many people of the summer in 1982, when of course Italy won a World Cup, and in the little town of Bari, a child is born. Yep, 12th day too. Nate, day after, day after they won the World Cup against Germany. I, I think, think the labour began sure. before. Okay, yeah. right. Was Giladino born? Uh, pretty much the same. It was either that on the Brazil-Italy game. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of people were having a lot of fun at that time. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm not, not sure it works really. that way, actually. No? You know, there's a certain time kids, lag between the... There's a thing we call the gestation period. Anyway, anyway, yeah. so that was the 12th of June, <laughs> 1982. You can tell which one of us is childless here. So, um, 17 years after that, again down in Bari, that young man debuts, grabs the world of football's attention with one of the all-time greatest Serie A goals. I'm exaggerating, don't you, Gab? No, I don't. Because I remember that. I remember, I remember his buddy. Was it Hugo in yeah, Naya? Yeah, it, yeah. This like Nigerian kid who who then disappeared down some rabbit hole. But he scored a goal which I thought was was almost as good. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, Barry. Again, for those who don't know, right? Barry's sort of the heel, if you will, of the Italian boot. Barry's a surprisingly large city, and. The place, the area where Cassano comes from, Barivecchia, Cassano was like the first sort of hip-hop Italian footballing superstar because, you know, single mother, issues with his dad, grew up in a very crime-ridden neighborhood. One of those neighborhoods where people actually have guns rather than just sort of talking about guns. This is the thing, Gab. When he comes back after scoring this goal, you know, people are letting off fireworks and shooting pistols in the air in his neighborhood. Especially back then, it was slightly lawless. Mm. And as we touched upon last week when we made fun of the stadium they built in Bari, just as a reminder, the people who ran that city was a family called the Matarese family. Not a crime family, as far as we know, but, you know, these three brothers, which sort of tells you a little bit about things working. Three brothers, one of them would go on to become the head of the Italian league and a UEFA vice president. One of them would be the owner and president of Bari Football Club, which, of course, went bankrupt several times or whatever. And the third one, of course, is a man of God. He was an archbishop, maybe even a cardinal for that part of of Puglia. Mm. So, yeah, it's a very, very different place to the rest of Italy, dare I say even to the rest of the South. And this guy comes onto the scene, he's so boisterous, he's so talented. People drew drew parallels with sort of NBA stars from, from rough neighborhoods. And I think it was extremely apt 
because it really was that. It was, you know, he'd go on TV and he, he talked about, you know, not knowing his dad. He talked about growing up in the streets and the alleyways there, people protecting him when, as soon as you saw your talent and stuff. And it's a very different story, I think, from, from the way Italian football works in general in terms of producing its talents, because mm. even people who come from underprivileged backgrounds, they normally get spotted early on and they're right. put into the, the sort of almost militaristic pipeline with the church and the, the coach and everything, and everything's taken care of. That was not Cassano's story. Right. And a little bit of context on this goal and this game. This was Bari who were really struggling. Well, without their first choice forwards, Eugenio Fascetti, the, the manager, goes with these two teenagers up front, Eninyana, the, the, the Nigerian, and a 17-year-old, Antonio Cassano, for the visit of an interside which featured, let's see, uh, Peruzzi, Panucci, Laurent Blanc, Zanetti, Jugovic, Zamorano, Baggio, I think Rocoba was on the bench, and Christian Vieri, who after Eninyana's opening goal, which is an absolute rocket from outside the area, Vieri equalises, and then in the 88th minute, still 1-1, this incredible Cassano moment happens kind of out of nowhere, James. Yeah, and uh, the ball comes down to him and he, he back heels it. It's a 40-yard lobbed pass. Yeah, his first control essentially is this back heel, which gets him, what, inside Panucci. And then he goes past Laurent Blanc, who, what, Blanc has just won the World Cup as captain of France. The opponent, both player and club, I think, uh, gave this goal kind of status um, that uh, it might not necessarily have had. And yeah, just incredible finish. And the, the, there's got that wild celebration afterwards. Because as Gab mentioned, I mean, the other the other thing about this is this is a guy from Bari scoring for his hometown club in in desperate circumstances um, at that time, um, which would become a kind of strange feature of his career. Whenever yeah his team's back was against the wall, he would stand up and deliver. Mm. Um, and yeah, went into the dressing room straight away afterwards. Matarese was there. And 17-year-old immediate, immediately asks for a pay rise. Brilliant. <laughs> so now, and I flew straight, because we were in Italy at the time, flew straight down. That was the big story to, to meet him and got to the training ground ready to go. And he, of course, went, no, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> and, and then relented and took us to lunch and, and basically left and picked up the tab and everything. And he was like 17 years old. I was very impressed with that. But he was, uh, he was a remarkably charming character. What followed that, I think, rarely at times lived up to that initial promise, but left a lot of people very frustrated. A lot of his teammates, certainly some of his managers, very frustrated. A career that spanned eight clubs, uh, yeah, but, I mean, three re- retirements, heart surgery, uh, uh, calling one of his owners an old <laughs> asking a referee out for a fight, over 700 women, he says, and some multiple thereof of donuts, and 115 goals. But, yeah. I mean, that, that's your kind of rap sheet of accomplishments there. I mean, if you look at... start for one of the best Italian national teams yeah. that I can remember mm-hmm. and actually behaved for a long stretch. And he was the best thing. If we're talking about 2004, he was the best thing about Italy's campaign at the Euro. And then think about the regret of not being there for two years later in 2006 when, when they win the World Cup. What's interesting about Cassano is that you get a lot of people who who don't achieve what they would have achieved, but they'll come out and they'll give you reasons for it. That manager didn't like me, I got injured. If you read Cassano's book, Cassano wrote a book with, with, with Pierluigi Pardo about his life, and this is maybe five or six years ago. So he still, he still had more chapters to write. The book starts out with him saying like, my objective after I retire is to get fat, <laughs> not just overweight, 
It's like, I'm already overweight. I've yeah. always been overweight. I want to get really, really fat. Like those people you see walking down the street and you think, my God, they're so disgusting. And the reason is I love food and I love sex. And I've got enough money that I can always get sex by paying for it. But the food part, I'm just going to gorge myself. This is my plan. But that's the great thing, Gab. Like, this is how the book starts. One of the great philosophers. <laughs> <laughs> this week after, I think definitively hanging up those boots, he says, uh, as you say, uh, some players might make excuses or, or give a context. No, he says, I know if I'd had another personality, I could have won more and played better. But vissuto emozione incredibile. I've lived through incredible emotions and I have next to me the only things that matter, the family, the friends and no regrets. Yeah, I mean, he's remarkably self-aware, and he was self-aware quite early in his career. I remember when I was in Rome, he was at Real Madrid, he was coming back to play for Sampdoria, and he said he'd had one of those sort of real moments of clarity in front of the mirror, and he was like, right, enough, you know, this is it, I've got to make the most of my talent. And, mm. you know, he keeps saying, you know, I've what, probably realised 30% of the potential that I have, which again leads to these classic kind of Cassano lines that, you know, if I'd made 100% of myself and my talent, you know, I wouldn't be playing on planet if I'd be on the moon because I'm just so much better than everybody else. He was uh, extraordinary. Though. When you look, there's a backheel volley nutmeg that he does in a game for Roma against Modena in, in 2004. Basically, he's out by the touchline. This wild pass comes in high and it just drops. And he basically, with his back to the field, he, he backheels it through the legs of the defender and sets up, I think, Lima. Do you remember Lima? Yeah. Yeah, who squanders the, the, the chance, but it's just amazing. And do you remember those those times at Roma when he and uh, Totti would essentially just march down the field, swapping the ball back and forth eight, nine times from one end of the field and to Totti, the other? Totti's just released his book, and there was a massive event at the, the Coliseum mm. where various People, be it coaches, players, basically came and sat on stage with him and, and you know, sort of reminisced about the past. And Cassano was there. And there is an entire chapter devoted to this in Totti's book about you know, Totti's firm conviction that Cassano was by far the best player he ever played with. Mm. And that um, while they might have had sort of different styles, that he recognised himself and uh, his talent in Cassano. Um, it, was, it was that good because... He would do certain things on the pitch, which Totti would think, I would have done that. And there were hardly any players who would do that. And as you say, they were so on the same wavelength that they would they would often just... It was almost like the other nine players on on the pitch were irrelevant because they could just one-two their way from their own penalty area into the box. Yeah, But they, they fell out then over money, no? They fell out because um, this thing, when Cassano comes to Rome, he essentially moves in with Totti at the family, family house. And... Totti's single at the time. Because he couldn't be arsed to go apartment hunting. Like, the club had lined up all these places for him and be like, all right, you're going to move in here. You okay with it? Like, yeah, sure. Like, all right, we'll see you at 10. He just doesn't show up. Mm. And so he's like, oh, I'm fine. I'm just going to hang out. I'm just going to live with Totti. You know, I've got, you know, it's like living with with mom again, except his mom's a dude. Well, the thing is, Totti tells the story about how he comes by one day and he's telling this story about how he's, yeah, I've looked at this apartment, there's no swimming pool, looked at this apartment, there's no no, sunlight and all this sort of thing. And Totti says, well, we've got a spare room. And before he's even, yeah, he's just a throwaway comment and Cassano's then hugging him and he's moving his stuff in. But yeah, I mean, the story about them kind of falling out, and they are still very good friends, um, but they fell out at the time because, what, he got his paycheck one one month, mislays it, essentially, and blames the cleaner, the Totti household. 
and they, they decided, no, she's she's sacrosanct. You know, this girl has never taken any kind of money, never had anything go missing. And a few weeks later, Cassano finds it in the kind of footwell of his car, and mm-hmm. there are lots of other things like. He apparently in training would always just cuss out players. Even though he was a teenager at the time or in his early 20s, he'd look at Tomasi, he's like, how are you playing football? How did you get a contract? You're, you're crap. Or when there was a particular lean period at Roma, he'd go to Franco Sensi, the owner, and say, come on, old man, get your wallet out and all this sort of thing, which there was a time for, and then there was, he often would misjudge it big time. Let's have some good Cassano memories. What are your favourite Cassano moments, Gab? So, what struck me about Cassano was... And it's easy to forget, you know, when we describe Ricalba, we describe somebody who was, you know, incredibly talented and, and whatever. And, you know, we're used to those guys who are sort of free spirits. But what people don't realize is Cassano was also an incredible athlete. I mean, a ridiculous athlete in those short periods when he was actually fit and not binging on cakes. I did the, the comment, I remember speaking to uh, to the guy who was a fitness coach for, for the national side in 2004 with Donadoni, and he said, pound for pound, Cassano is physically the strongest player on this team. Really? And he's also the second quickest. And you wouldn't have thought so, but he was actually fit in that period, and he was lean and whatever. And so, you know, we talk about how, like, the great athletes, so many of them are sort of maniacal about what they eat, looking after their body. Just imagine, imagine if, if Cassano had had the same attitude as, say, Cristiano Ronaldo towards, towards training and diet and whatever, you imagine what could have been. Um, but instead, you have, the, you have the absolute opposite, right? When, when he was at Real Madrid, they, they made him live because they didn't trust him and his insatiable appetites for, for sex and sugar. So they basically put him up in the hotel that they have at Valdebebas in the, in the training complex. And he'd just talk about how he'd get bored. And so he would, he would call up, you know, call girls to come by. And he would always tell the call girls to go by this one pastry shop and bring him like literally trays and trays of, 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 of pastries and snacks and, and whatever. And, you know, he'd be like first one, then the other. You know, we, we chuckle about um, his massive use of prostitutes. It's kind of distasteful at the, the same time. Can we talk about some of the nice things he did on the field instead? Well, and, and this is the thing. Like, I mean, for a guy who says he achieved only 30% of his potential, you look at what he did do. I mean, he is chosen to play for the champions of Italy at the time, who should have won more than the one title that they did. He then goes to Real Madrid. Capella wants him there, thinks he has the talent to fit in with what the Galacticos that they had at the time. Marotta signs in for Sampdoria. I think that's probably the period of his career where he was at his best, where mm. he was the boss. It was an environment that suited him. He has, strikes up this partnership with Gianpaolo Pazzini, which is one of the best that Samp have ever had with Mancini and Viali. Yeah, by dint of his own talent, takes them to yeah, the Champions League preliminaries. Um, unfortunately, he falls out with Garone, the owner at the time, in quite spectacular fashion, yeah. which I think, again, is... One of the major regrets of his career, if not the biggest regret, because, you know, as I said, Samp was the right place, the right fit for him. And he's always tried to go back there since, be it for the second time around, or be it with Entella. And it's a big shame that, yeah, he wasn't able to, I, I think he would have tried to play his entire career there. He then goes to Milan in January, wins the league title with them. And that January signing is one of the big factors why they did win that league title. 
I mean, he made crucial contributions in right. the second half of the and season. And this bizarre thing where he's flying back from a game away in Rome mm. and starts to feel dizzy, can't talk properly, and they, they find that he's had a stroke. Yeah. Which, I, I'm, yeah, remarkable. But then he comes back from that and continues playing, makes a move to Inter, and then goes back to Sampdoria. Just when you were mentioning that he's falling out with Garoni, <laughs> the ultimate kind of Casanata, I guess, is the time when in, in 2008, the game against Torino, he gets sent off for a tripping, I can't remember which Torino player, and he ain't going. <laughs> he ain't going. So he he turns to the referee and he has to be held back from assaulting the referee. Then after a couple of attempts to kind of lead him away, players from both teams are now combining to drag him away from uh, Pierpaoli, the, 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 the official. He takes off his shirt, he throws it at the ref and then they finally get him to the tunnel where this bare-chested... Antonio is, is seen gesticulating the referee. <laughs> I'm right here. I'll see you after. I'll see you after right here. And I can't remember how long they banned him for on that occasion, but one of the all-time classics. You were mentioning his, his Italy form, Gab. For me, one of the iconic, another of the iconic Cassano moments was the goal against Bulgaria in 2004. Yeah, which, well, I was there. I like to forget that because of the vile stitch-up between the evil Scandies that happened in the other game. This was, it was a heartbreaking moment. This was not a great campaign for, for Italy. It featured that a, a, a great half against Sweden, which then ended up in an amazing Ibrahimovic goal. And then they had to win and hope that the game between Denmark and Sweden didn't end up as a 2-2 draw. Any result other than a 2-2 draw in Italy qualify as long as they beat Bulgaria. Right. They duly do that. They well, they do that with a late goal from Cassano who yeah. runs back to the bench with this huge grin on his face like he's just saved the country, yeah, basically. Because he says Denmark and Sweden, I mean, they're the models of probity. Surely, surely nothing untoward is going to happen in this game. Anyway, so he gets to the bench and they tell him yeah. that it's 2-2 and he just collapses. Hmm. Heartbreaking. And then 2012, which I think is the vastly underappreciated Cesare Prandelli mm. in 2012 says, okay, we need to break the mold for Italy. No more defending, counterattacking. Let's play midfielders who can actually pass the ball and play and whatever. Echoes of what's happening now, perhaps. Um, and you know, he plays De Rossi and Pirlo. And there's an issue with the strikers, and he ends up playing Cassano Balotelli, who, you know, Again, you're figuring this is probably not the most stable front two. Yeah. And Cassano at the time, because by that point he'd had his stroke, he'd, he'd, he'd eaten the pastry shop, was he only played like like an hour and then you had to take him off? Mm. But yeah, that odd couple up front, Cassano and Balotelli, you know, they take Italy all the way to the final, or admittedly, Spain wiped the floor with them in the final. But along the way, mm. they demolished the hated Germans as well, 2-1. There's two goals from, from Super Mario and... And Cassano, I think, more than pulled his weight in that tournament. Yeah. Ten goals in 33 caps for Italy. Yeah, a lot. I'd, I'd love a lot. Especially when you time. consider that he's not a center forward, and I'm sure, I'm sure he probably never took a penalty for mm. Italy. And also, I will bet you that no more than a handful of those he played 90 minutes because mm -hmm. he didn't need to play 90 minutes. Two other things that come to mind now. One is that whole uh, term, Cassanati, which is uh, Fabio Capello's invention, from when the, the pair were together at Roma, mm. not a desperately happy marriage, which they then saw them reunited at Real Madrid, where there's a classic scene of Cassano in full view of the TV cameras doing an impression of, of Capello, uh, sticking his chest out and kind of peacocking around, and um, Cannavaro and uh, Ronaldo. Ronaldo dying of laughter. <laughs> and he got suspended for that, didn't he? Yeah, I think by the club, yeah. Right. But, um, but yeah, Cap I mean, Capella, I mean, as you mentioned there, Gab, with, with Prandelli, you know, Capella was able to kind of keep a handle on 
some of it for a time. You know, I mean, they, they, they came very close to to going back to back in the league with Cassano as a part of that. But yeah, someone who was just naturally, I think, very funny and was always, you know, would take jokes a little bit too far at times. But yeah, I think rocked up. Was it was it as his Real Madrid presentation rocked up in a fur coat? That's right. <laughs> Uh, it was shades of the legendary Gigi Meroni, mm. which people yeah. ask him, like, was that a tribute to, to, to Meroni? It's like, who? Who <laughs> look? Yeah, Cassano, we should say, probably not the most educated person you will you School will of Hard Knocks is where he took the his street. classes. The yeah. street. Yeah. On the subject of the sex, uh, which you know, a lot of people strongly <laughs> advise athletes to avoid sexual relations before a match Cassano's really explicit on, on the fact that it wasn't an issue for him and there's a, yeah. there's a Totti has a good line about this in his uh-huh. book actually which is like even though they were falling out when a relationship is probably should end but the sex is still good right so the football was still good the football them. was still good between oh, that's a nice image <laughs> that intercourse as they went up up and down the pitch Precisely, together yeah. uh, stroking it back and forth <laughs> Uh, anyway, so Cassano says, um, loads of times I've played huge games after having sex. Go back and look at uh, Roma-Juve 4-0, the famous game of Quattro uh, yeah. Papini. Yeah. Go and have a look at it with the, with the, with the shattered corner flag. Because after he scores the fourth goal, he goes up and basically just kicks the corner flag to pieces. Pilo Giacolino is the referee. But what are you doing? I'm going to have to book you now. <laughs> Why did you just destroy part of our pitch? He's, anyway, Cassano says, that match, I, I've been up to six that morning uh, with one of the many lady friends that I had in that period. Well, so. yeah, and he tells a story about basically bringing a girl back to Trigoria, no? like uh, the Roma's training ground and uh, having some of his conquests there, which, again, Totti has said, I don't remember ever sort of walking in on him in the massage room or whatever. Maybe it's just a, a legend that um, that Cassano likes to indulge, but... Perhaps, yeah. perhaps. I, it feels like we talked a lot about the other things about Cassano's career and not just his football, but I guess that is Cassano's career. You had such highs, but really, they were generally really few and far between. It always What's his career, you- like binge, binging on donuts, you know, like small highs then followed by periods of real lows and self-loathing <laughs> yeah and the guy had all sorts of issues yeah. you know and I, you hope that he's reached some level of serenity well, his, I mean, his marriage does seem to have, have done wonders and you know best of luck to him with his new life of having sex and getting fat we next up on Golazzo are going to move on with a quick look back on Italy's tremendously successful visit to Poland last Sunday and also the upcoming Milan derby this weekend So we were all a bit down on the Azuri's prospects when we spoke last week. Not their prospects. I'd say the management of the first few games. We talked about the prospect of them going down to Well, that was a very level. real prospect. It was. Yeah. Blame Mancini for making you make nine changes from one game to the next. Right. Which you did during the first break. Funnily enough, he did not do it this time. Mm. Right. So he used the template that had not given him a result, but had given him a good performance in the friendly at home to Ukraine. And what, what was the key here, do you think? 
So there's two elements, right? We can nerd out tactically and talk about how he plays 4-3-3. He decided to play three midfielders who can all pass the ball in, in, in Barella, uh, Verratin, and Jorginho. Mm. You know, like two playmakers. How could you do that? You know, and I think that's only making a big statement, right? Because in, in Italian football, we always believed, oh, no, you know, you need what we call tactical balance, which is basically a euphemism for having these these guys like Gattuso and Gabriele Pino just pass the ball sideways and kick people and win the ball back, Right. So that was already a, a big modern step. But then up front, he plays Bernardeschi, Insigne, and Federico Chiesa, which is pretty remarkable because he's like, I'm playing three skillful, unpredictable players who all can score a little bit. All of them are good in the one-on-ones. And most of all, I think especially Chiesa, but also Bernardeschi, despite being at Juve, these are people who play with confidence. They play with a smile. They play with no fear. And I think in the modern game, you have to play that way. You have to take the game to the opposition. You can't be afraid to shoot. The, the, the age-old joke in Italian football is, you know, when the guy shoots from 30 yards out and it sails over the bar, here in England, everybody's like, <laughs> they all applaud, right? Oh, look, he had to go, right? In Italy, we're the absolute most negative things. You know, with this phrase, oh, we oh, a phenomena. Oh, look, you know, who do you think you are? You think you can score from there? Which, which is soul-destroying, right? We've destroyed so many talented players by making them play within themselves and whatever else. And here Mancini saying, you know, these are these two games. Guys, we're going to have a go. They created a ton of chances. They hit the woodwork twice. All right, finished 1-0 on a set piece, but it didn't matter. And even if they'd drawn that game and been relegated, the statement was made, hopefully you can build on this. Right. And I think a lot of people had reacted not desperately positively to Mancini saying that he didn't effectively care too much about what happened in the Nations League. Stupid thing to say. But, mm. Well, but maybe that actually helped the team play with that kind of freedom. They were a delight to watch, James. Uh, really, I mean, Bernadeschi was... Uh, to all sorts of uh, of tricks. For all of that, though, it wasn't until after the 90, minute. yeah, that uh, basically Beragi manages to slide the ball in, offer a deflection from a corner. So much as they impressed away at Poland, do they still need somebody to actually finish off all the chances they created that night? Well, look, I mean, Immobile um, keeps being very prolific for Lazio, but is not scoring goals for his country. Belotti and Balotelli were left out of the, the squad mm. um, and I think really need to kind of pick their ideas up, but then again, they were picked playing in the same form in the last international break, which was one of those kind of head scratches that you know yeah. Mancini gave. I think what Gab says about Chiesa and Benedeschi is really important because I think these two guys are very determined to go to the next level right. now. And I think both of them spent, you know, obviously the offices no World Cup, and I think they just spent that working very, very hard. If you listen to what Allegri's been saying about Benedeschi, you know, someone who's really taken um, to Ronaldo being at training at Juventus and drawing inspiration from it and thinking, I want to take my chance. And it was quite revealing at the start of the season with him how Dybala seemed to be suffering in the sort of shadow of Ronaldo. And Bernadeschi was reveling in it. Those two in particular, added with Insigne playing close to the goal for, for Napoli, Ancelotti scoring a lot of goals, having his best yeah. start of the season. And he came really close at the start of this game as well. Yeah, I think it's, it's really encouraging. I thought even the first 60 minutes against the Ukraine was, yeah. they should have been 3 or 4 nil. Yeah. Do outside. you think then, because Italy are now two points behind Portugal and three ahead of Poland, Poland, I think, are now relegated because they yeah. were... Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they host Portugal in November, 17th at mm-hmm. San Siro. Yeah. Can Italy win that? Well, it doesn't look like Ronaldo's going to play, is it? I mean... Uh, One of the, many question marks. Yeah. But... I was impressed by Portugal when they played Italy in, in Lisbon. 
young team. I think Mancini will probably stick with this side. He won't make the changes that he did completely kind of yeah. putting together an incoherent side for that trip to Lisbon and it'll be an entirely different proposition. So I think Italy have got every chance of a baby and, going and to the One thing, which is just, just some things bug me, as you know. Um, this idea, oh, well, they need a center forward, right? Which is exactly what all these idiots That's in the exactly media... exactly the voice that I just used for when I said <laughs> that, yeah. No, but would have said if, if, yeah. if Biragi hadn't scored at the uh-huh. end. And that's nonsense. Mm. You've got three front men, all of whom score goals. Right. Would Italy be better if they had Gigi Riva, Robert Lewandowski up front? Probably. But if you don't have Gigi them... Gigi is quite old. I'm not sure that they would be better. <laughs> yeah, probably not, probably not now. But, but you know what I mean? If you don't have a center forward, just play the guys who are good at playing football. Yeah. Do you, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I, this, this is just, just so idiotic, this idea that you have to have one. I asked the question and you've answered it. No, so very, it's not. No, no. You know no, what I mean? I wanted to. Uh, that's exactly the answer I wanted. Thanks, And you Kat. said it in that voice, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, look. <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, this weekend, just to finish off, what are your thoughts on the Milan derby? Both these sides in form, aren't they? Um, really picked up in between the uh, September and October international breaks. Bit of a shame that the momentum, if you like, was broken up by it. But yeah, I think we're going to see, you know, Icardi started scoring goals, Higuain started scoring goals. I actually really enjoyed watching Milan this this season. Even when they weren't getting kind of wins at the start, they were playing good football. They were being very bold in their approach, something that I didn't really expect from Gattuso. You know, a team that insisted on playing out of the back, even when it cost them at times, they still tried to do it. And Suzo and Higuain seem to have got a really good understanding going on as well so I think that's encouraging I still haven't really seen into aside from that what first hour against PSV and the the second half against Samp still not really playing what I would call kind of Spalletti football the kind of free-flowing really exciting lots of goals kind of Spalletti side for all that Inter are currently in third place mm. uh, four points ahead of Milan who lie down in tenth Milan though do have a game in hand yes yeah so it's like really a one point difference, and well, if they win that game in hand, yeah, which they will. Um, like we said, I mean, Inter are not playing well. You can look at it and say, "Oh, well, when Spalletti gets them clicking, you know, they'll be better." The question is, can Spalletti get them clicking, or is this another poorly constructed Inter team with you know people of weird obsessions? For me, I'm a fan of Candreva, for example, and. You know, the way he's used so sparingly. I don't like this Keita Balde uh, obsession. The other thing about this game is it's coming after a FIFA break. Those guys who were away international do, I think that's going to impact things a little bit. So I think I could see a, one of those raggedy games okay. that finishes 2-2 or something. Okay, well, that's the final game of match day nine of the season, 7.30 UK time. Uh, that'll be getting underway. Other highlights include Juve taking on uh, Christoph Piontek. And Genoa in a Saturday night's game ahead of their trip to Old Trafford and Napoli going to Udinese. They're always fun to watch. Loads of other stuff. Parma Lazio could be interesting, particularly after what Parma did last match day with that remarkable comeback win against Genoa. Yeah. And they had half a team out injured for yeah. that game. So they've made a better than expected start. Um, That's a Sunday. They've got a really interesting front line with Jed Vigno and. And Bobby English. Bobby English. Yeah. All right. Anyway, much for us to look forward to this weekend and look back on when we return next week, in which we'll also be reacting to the big one, Man United, Juve at Old Trafford. 
Super. Gab, many thanks for being with us today. Pleasure. And you too, James Horncastle. Pleasure as always. And you, listener, do hope you've enjoyed today's edition of Galazzo from all of us here. It's a Rivadurci. You've been listening to Galazzo, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and make sure you check out our other podcasts this season. The Totally Football League show with Caroline Barker and the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. <laughs>